Three, two, one. Recording on. Here we go. Red lights on. RTT <laughs> number seventy. Uh, the red light is on. Everything will be captured. Yes. Yes. We, this is being recorded for posterity. Uh, yes. Hey. So before we jump in. Um, yeah, it's uh, September here and it's September there. It's still September yes. there, right? We're on the same it's, days, right? It's still Just September, a hour. Yeah. but it's like 100 degrees during the day here. What's what's it there? Oh, yeah. It's not that bad here, right? Okay. It's gonna, no. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You move to a hotter, still humid place. <laughs> and longer. Know, it's hotter, longer. <laughs> yeah. Did you think about that? Uh, but yeah, school starting. Life seems to... Re- beginning to return to semi-normalcy does it feel like normalcy because it's not really normal like it's kind of normal but it's not really normal right like you're going back to school but it's not five days a week or you know here some people are virtual and it's it's kind of like you're doing alternate days where we are now where you are now so sometimes in person sometimes not Um, i think people here had the choice of in person or virtual. I don't really know what the percentages is, but I think most people, I think a lot of people jumped at the in-person option. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's, it's a sort of a weird place that we're in. This, this year has been a weird year. Uh, and I don't have a point to make other than, um, I think, think it's okay to appreciate the weirdness and not try to flatten it out and uh, pretend it's normal, right? Because it's not really normal. Yeah, not normal. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, we haven't, we experienced spring and summer, but we haven't transitioned into fall with COVID until now getting there. And so, yeah, your, your mind, psychologically, your body, you kind of expect things to happen you're oh we're back to school we're shutting vacations down but it's but it's not the same and so it's another for me it's another transition that is more destabilizing than a normal transition because it's just not it's different you know right it's a, a different adjustment um, right so yeah right so it's the it's the destabilizing parts of the transitions are there but the stabilizing parts are not right. right. I mean, right. This, the familiar rhythm part of it is not there. So everything seems the same at some level, but it's not really the same. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think everyone, we just need to pay attention to that, pay attention to, um, be on our guard for stabilization, if you will. Um, so we're going to start, uh, we're going to start talking about for the next while, the life of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, his life being prophesied. And, and that sort of got me thinking uh, about a movie, uh, a Robin Williams movie called The Final Cut. 2004, uh, I looked it up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of those movies that I, it's sort of memorable on some level uh, for me, but it wasn't a great movie. Kind of one of those movies that could have been better. It's a little bit of a shame that it wasn't better. Uh, not bad, but interesting because uh, it plays with this concept of um, not everybody, but uh, people who had some means 
somehow there was some implant put in your your head that recorded uh, audio and visual every moment of your life. Uh, and you know that you know there's this is this, this, this thing in your head somehow. Uh, and I don't exactly know, you know, uh, the technology isn't explained or really gone into, which is fine with me. Um, and then for those people, uh, your memorial service, if you will, or your funeral is, was like a hour and a half, two hour movie basically of your life. Uh, and then the people, there was a, the people who, edited the movies were called cutters uh and they saw they or potentially they saw every moment of your life and you know there was some software that organized you know organized all of the moments of your life in some way in which you know they uh you know edited out all the sleeping parts and you know uh some of the more mundane parts and then uh you know highlighted and so basically what that turned into was um, he had to edit out all the horrible parts in order for there to be an actual, you know, <laughs> memorial service that the family would want to, to be in. Uh, and of course, for some people, there were pretty horrible parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Robin Williams is the main character. He's a cutter and he has you know, the, the movie opens with this sequence of his childhood where then he, he feels guilty for his entire life. This kind of horrible thing that he's involved in in some way. Uh, and I, that sort of drives him to, uh, to, you know, he assuages his own guilt kind of, it seems by cutting out, justifying cutting out all the horrible parts of people's lives and making them appear better than they were uh, in, in reality. Um, and then of course, I mean, his, his sins begin to catch up with them. Uh, and then there are people who are against, there's a, you know, there's a protest movement who are against the whole thing. And some of them, you know, they have their faces disfigured because they've had the thing taken out. Uh, and they have these tattoos on their faces that, that indicate that, that, you know, um, and, you know, part of the protesters point is that these implants are, are changing the way people live because they know every moment's recorded. Hmm. Um, for good or bad, <laughs> changing the way people live for good, like for, for their bad. Their point would be for bad. They can do they yeah. do whatever they want to because they know it'll be edit cut out later. Or people are self editing, or people don't feel free to live as they would okay. because every moment's recorded. Hmm. That part's not. It's not fully played out. Um, and I just think this whole, I mean, for this whole idea for me is interesting in a couple of ways because, um, well, the, to finish the, the, the part of the, you know, the movie that, you know, uh, we might, we might talk about is, so he, Robin Williams refers to this, this practice of, uh, some cultures would have what they would call sin eaters. Uh, when somebody would die, they would lay the body out, uh, which was common uh for you know for a viewing uh, they lay the body out for a number of days this is common in this country for uh, a long time particularly in the country uh and they would have they would put bread and salt 
uh, on the body and like coins uh, on the in the eyes. And the, the sin eater would come and eat the bread, the salted bread, and take the coins as payment for eating the sins so the person could go into the next life without their sin. Um, and uh, so let's, I mean, maybe just pause it right there and like, you know, let's maybe just interact with that whole, you know, how that movie might intersect with just our lives as believers and, and the story we're in and all of that. So I don't know, what, what are you thinking as I'm describing all of that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm thinking a few things. One of them, and I don't know if it's, I wasn't able to watch the movie um, with you, but I'm wondering kind of the premise of why the premise exists in the first place, which is, do we want, is there something in humanity that just wants people to remember us better than we are, that needs to escape the horrible parts or the sinful, whatever acts we've done or, or done to us pain that we just don't want to hold. Like what, what is that? What was the, what was the drive there? We just, it's just too painful for people to remember that. Yeah. I think that that was sort of the point. Now it's, that's one of the reasons it's not a, the movie could have been a lot better because it could have delved into a lot of other more philosophical, philosophically interesting points, but that seemed to be the, um, basically you want people, you want to have this remembering and leave behind this movie that shows you as a good person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have enough money, you can get this implant and you, you know, the implant somehow goes in, you know, at birth or something, um, where it's not only this thing that people have to remember you by, uh, but all the bad parts are taken out. And so it's, um, you know, I think that's, that was the whole, that was the whole idea. Uh, and I think there were, you know, there's protest movie and the protest element in the, in the movie of people who didn't like this whole idea that thought living with an implant, uh, people self-edited or whatever. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's it. Like this, this desire to be remembered, this desire to present a version of your life that was good and yet somehow under the surface, and this is the, you know, the, the group that protested um, would say this, that it was, it was fake. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, in the Christian sense, it wasn't a redeemed version of your life. It was a edited version of your life. Right. Yeah. It was inauthentic. It was, it was really pretense. Right. We just, yeah, right. you know, I, I joked a little bit when when you and I first started talking before the red light was on. And yes. no disrespect to the way we do funerals today, but in some senses it feels similar. Um, right. You know, when you go to a funeral and you know maybe the person had some demons they never dealt with or whatnot, mm -hmm. but we don't we don't necessarily talk about those. Um, yeah, and I think the best services are ones which sort of acknowledge mm -hmm. the imperfection of the person in a way that's honorable. And if they're a believer, you, you know, that's redeemed. Right. Um, and the, the worst ones are the ones in which everyone there knows this is a fake version of the person's life yep. uh, to some degree. I mean, those are the worst. I mean, I've, you've probably been to those 
services where, you know, acquaintances or friends or whatever might not know all of the, the dark parts, but, you know, and, uh, but nobody wants to, you know, I don't know, go to a funeral and, and, you know, go through work, go through all the bad parts, uh, or, you know, because partly I don't want to think of myself, my funeral in that, that sense, but, um, but loved ones probably do need to actually delve into, in the grief, you know, in the loss. Also, here's the stuff that I have to deal with, you know, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, well, here's what needs to be redeemed in that, uh, you know, we don't have sin eaters. Uh, you know, we have a redeemer. Uh, and that the story of our life is part of this bigger story through which we get the redeemer, through which our sins can be redeemed, which is like there, the guilt is wiped clean, but the fact of the sin is, is not erased. It's redeemed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know. I mean, for me, that changes how I think about, because if, 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 if it's going to be erased, then as long as nobody finds out on earth, it's like it never happened. Right. right. And that's not how redemption works. It's it, no, it did happen. It had an impact. It needed to be redeemed. It's part of your story. And that story is in this bigger story where a redeemer had to come and live and die and rise again. Uh, and that's, you know, the Christian version of, I just don't, I think sometimes we want a sin eater. We want an editor uh, rather than a redeemer because I don't want to have yep. to look at my sin. Like, you know, we've talked about yeah. repentance, right? You know, repentance yep. is I have to look at it. I can't just, you know, you know, close, you know, brush my hands together and say, Ali Ali oxen free, you know, it's like it never <laughs> happened. Right. Yeah, I, I met with a very uh, gentle person yesterday who uh, just, it was really difficult for them to talk about something in their past. And there was all sorts of, you know, emotions yeah. and protections swirling around it of guilt and shame and even anger, uh, you know, and all of these things. And I think that's probably, you know, one of the reasons why we we just we don't want to go there um and we would i just was imagining for a moment let's just say the life of christ was uh you know being cut would would we jump over the cross you know this is because it's too painful and it's a terrible horrible right. thing and what it's almost as if the 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 movie is presenting you know let's just jump straight to resurrection and everybody knows, right. well, there was terrible things that happened, but let's just jump straight to resurrection. In that sense, a redeemer says, we have to, the cross really is an invitation, a strong invitation to look directly at our own sins, at sins that have been uh, done to us. One of my favorite metaphors for salvation is the, that of being sick and wanting to get well. And I, I love the passage where Jesus just says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. And I think that Jesus is constantly trying to convince us uh, that we're sicker than we are. 
-hmm. and so that we can really come to terms with uh, how sick we are and how the the ailments that we have. And then I used to have this professor who always turn really turn a phrase and just say, and what's the one thing a sick person wants? And the one thing a sick person wants is just to get better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're, if you, you know, if you're, when you're sick, <laughs> it's, even if it's just a sinus infection, it's just, oh, I can't, I just want to get better. But in order to get better, you have to acknowledge this is how I, mm. I'm not, I'm, I'm ill. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Instead of saying to a person, just start acting like you're not sick. Right. You know? Well, they're sick. They can't, I mean, they can't, they, they're sick. Cause they just can't start acting. Just tell yourself you're not sick and mm -hmm. start acting mm -hmm. like you're not sick. That's not helpful. Um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the do better, uh, version of, of, of non-salvation that we might want to substitute. Um, and I think yeah. too, it's interesting in that metaphor to continue with that vein, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Peter was talking about how he has, he doesn't, his, uh, he doesn't, uh, ingest caffeine anymore. Um, wow. and he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, was talking about how I think he, I think he got sick, uh, like the flu or something. He was sick for a couple of days and he sort of like, you know, slept a lot for two or three days, sort of in a sense, slept through all of the caffeine withdrawal headaches and stuff, or a lot of them. And so he thought, well, let's, let me just, just, you know, not, not go back, not to go back. I mean, it's a good opportunity to, to, to get off caffeine, which I think he wanted to do for a while. And it was all of these effects that, that he's now noticed, you know, the now, the non-caffeinated version, you know, both good and bad. But it's like, so he, in a sense, had this condition that he had grown so accustomed to. Like to use that metaphor, he was sick and didn't know he was sick because mm. he just thought this is the way life is, right? This is just normal. This is just normal. And I think that's mm. where a lot of people are, I'm not sick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't think you're sick. You don't understand you're sick because you don't know what it means to be well. Oh, maybe uh, right? we don't think we're sick to go back to the movie too, because we're constantly, we're our own cutter. Right. That's good. I mean, we can't deal with it. So we just pretend it's not there or we pretend yeah. it was no big deal or whatever. Um, and so that's kind of, I mean, for, for in it, you know, that's our story existing in this bigger story of a redeemer like the bigger story has to exist or um, I'm in trouble, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be a bigger context. And I think, you know, that um, the fact that I'm in this bigger story and my story is going to fit into this bigger story should play out somehow. There's uh, Galatians 4, for I think four and five, uh, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption uh, to son sonship. Um, and that sense of the, you know, the time, the time that it has come, the time coming, uh, I think in Hebrews, 
there's um, the, you know, you know, God sent the various prophets and, you know, various, uh, various prophets to come and uh, to talk about the story that we're in. And then, and then Jesus is, is the big fulcrum of the story. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is coming back. And I do think uh, that we view prophecy in sort of a way that um, is disconnected from our, our lives. Like, I think the way a lot of believers view prophecy is this is, I look at pro- prophecy to, to provide proof that my beliefs are true. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Prophecy is interesting because it shows that my doctrine is the true doctrine. Uh, and I just don't think that's, that's not what prophecy there's some of that that can be true, but that's not really what prophecy is about. Uh, particularly the main subject of prophecy is Jesus and, uh, and the life of Jesus. Do you think we look at prophecy about the story that we're in, in that sense, or do, do we look at it as uh, like proof of, uh, you know, there's evidence that Jesus must be true because all of these things said in the Old Testament came true, blah, 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 blah. Um, do you think that's how we look at it? And what do you think the impact of that is? Yeah, I do think that's how uh, we look at it. Uh, unfortunately, it feels like prophecies become proof texts and see its confirmation that uh, I'm believing the right thing. I think that's potentially the lowest way to view prophecy, maybe. It's not that it's wrong, right? But it's just like, oh, that, that doesn't feel like that's the fullest understanding. And I'm just even thinking of like, okay, assuming that was even is even true, uh, what about all the people who lived during the prophecy and they never saw it fulfilled? Like, what's the purpose of prophecy for them? And right. the purpose of prophecy for them is to have a, uh, if I could say it this way, existential effect upon them. It's supposed to it's supposed to do something in their life. Like if you think about Jonah and Nineveh, uh, the prophecy to Nineveh was 40 days and it'll be overthrown unless they repent. And the, right. the prophecy was meant to get the Ninevites to repent. And then they do. And then God doesn't uh, bring judgment. It was a, a conditional prophecy in that sense, but it was meant to do something in everyday life. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And I think that in a sense the lower way that we look at it, it's not like that's sinful to, to see prophecy in some senses that way, but it, that's not the main sense. It, it's actually yeah. talking about a story that we're in and it should cause us to respond in some way appropriately uh, to that story. And, uh, you know, thinking about um, the, it's, it's a story that we're in and it's not random. Uh, you know, it's a story that we're in and some things have to happen because of, uh, uh, because of the story that we're in. Uh, and so, you know, the prophecy about Jesus, you know, Genesis three fifteen, that the famous sort of pre evangelistic, uh, or proto evangelical, you, you know, you know, whatever, uh, the, the people who don't really know Greek might, you know, want to sound <laughs> something, uh, that, you know, that, 
in, in Genesis 3.15, you know, I will put enmity, so that's God, will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And, you know, that's widely seen as a reference to uh, Satan bruising our Redeemer and our Redeemer crushing, uh, you know, evil. And that's because one of the early things that happens in the story is we fall and we need redemption. And, you know, the Redeemer is going to need to come now. It's part of the story that's thousands and thousands of years down the line. Uh, but it's like all of this stuff God has in mind and our stories exist, you know, within it. Uh, even the, the promise of in Genesis 12 that, you know, the promise to Abraham is I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the nations through you. So the prophecy affirms the story we're in, but also gives us some sense of the purpose of God's people is to be a blessing uh, and on and on and on. And, you know, later in Genesis that, you know, the, the scepter won't pass from Judah uh, until and now we're talking about Jesus. And so all of these things, you know, they find their fulfillment in Jesus, but that's part of the story. And again, it's not the point being made isn't that therefore this proves Jesus is, is God. Uh, it, you know, it is evidence of that, but it's much more like this is, this explains the story we're in. It helps to explain and give context for your story. Uh, yeah. And this is sort of where we are, you know, Hebrews one, you know, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Uh, and so this is the story we're in that, you know, before us, there were there were prophets and that spoken many times in various ways. The son has come. He has spoken to us. The, you know, the God speaks to us through his church by his spirit and there will be another part of the story coming. And my story fits in with all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, that somehow, you know, that I am meant to be a blessing, that God's people are meant to be a blessing. And God's people are now replaced by the church. And all of these prophecies of Jesus before, during, and after, you know, my life fits into that. And within all of that, my sin takes place. Mm -hmm. And my need to be redeemed takes place. And it's all taken care of in the larger story uh, by the Redeemer, without which I'm I'm toast, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that the um, like I that I need therefore the bad parts of the bigger story to be true, so that the redemption can be true. Because you're talking about the movies, a sanitized version, where interestingly the most popular Jesus movie ever was the bloodiest. Yeah. Right. Where that somehow was part of the appeal where this redemption is, is costly, whether people really got that or not. Um, but that's, you know, maybe the truest depiction. I mean, there was some artistic license taken here and there, but basically it was an awful bloody, Thing to pay for our sins uh, and yet we somehow we want to skip over it but I really need all of that 
to be true or there's no redemption. Like Mm -hmm. my story makes no sense without the bigger story of the redeemer that's been told about. And that's been, you know, his return is, is for forthcoming. And therefore, how do I think of the story of my life? And I don't know how that's going to be played out. Right. I don't know how all that has been hidden will be revealed, but that's sort of, you know, what we expect in some way, all of that, you know, being superintended by Jesus who loves me. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't exactly know how that's going to work, but that I should know that the life I'm living is part of this bigger story and it isn't going to be edited. Oh, my bag fell over. It isn't going to be edited. It It's going to be redeemed. And do I acquiesce myself to the fact that I can't, I shouldn't, part of me wants it edited and not redeemed. Mm-hmm but I need it to be redeemed and not edited. Well, I wonder if it's, it's you know, if it, you, you said it doesn't make sense uh, without the larger story and the larger story is the redeemer has come and he's, he's paid a costly price for the redemption, uh, grotesque and, and horrible and all these things. I wonder if partially it, it doesn't make sense because the pro to bring it back also to the movie, the final cut, the protesters in the movie are, are potentially the voice of truth to live honestly, to have a life uncut and to, to look it in the mirror, to say, it won't make sense if I've constantly, if I don't think it's that bad, right. To the sick analogy, if I'm fine, if I tell myself it's fine, my life right. won't really make sense because I won't really be grappling with this reality that everyone has to grapple with, which there is evil in the world and what is going to be done about it. And it's, I, I think we're past the modern uh, sense of all these answers of education and reform. We're going to fix the evil. I think we're past that. Um, I'm not quite sure if that's still living on strong in the uh, academia. Um mm-hmm. But and so now there's more up openness to uh, supernatural, to the divine amongst uh, new philosophers, new scientists are saying, hey, we can't just it's not just a closed um, naturalistic world. And so there's more openness to that. But I don't know if we're uh, coming to grips with what's being done with the problem of evil, what's being done with the problem of injustice. And so our lives really won't make sense if we if we sweep if we cut our lives, then we have to cut the systemic evils in the world as well. And yeah, and I don't think anybody really wants to do that. We have to look at it and say, oh, this, what are we going to do about it? Um, and then maybe that's the wrong question. It's mm-hmm. what the real question with the bigger story to make sense of it all is what is God doing about it? What hmm. has God done about it? When you mentioned the Proto-Evangelion is that's God's answer to evil in the world and injustice. And he's already started doing something about it. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. It won't make sense probably on way more levels than I just described. It won't make sense if we're trying to live the uncut version uh, or sorry, the cut version of our lives and ignoring hmm. um, all of the realities. I think Brene Brown said it like this. It's uh Owning your story is hard, but running from it 
uh, your whole life is harder. Yeah. I mean, we don't, I don't think we believe it. I mean, I think that's like, it's like having a lot of caffeine and not knowing what it's doing to you. Um, you don't, we don't notice we run from the, we run from the damage of running from our life as well. Cause we run from everything, but you're right. I think it doesn't work. We're stuck, uh, without dealing with the reality of evil in our own life. It's, and, and some way to deal with it, which we don't have in our own power at hand. We can't look out at the world and we don't have a satisfactory explanation for it. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I mean, to some degree, we look away and pretend maybe mm-hmm. and distract ourselves with happier thoughts. But I do think a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the darker themed uh, you know, apocalyptic and all that stuff. Entertainment is probably a way to sort of try to process the, the, the fact that the world seems like it's in bad shape. Uh, how do I make sense of that? And where is that going? Uh, and how, do, how am I a part of that? How is that doing something to me? How am I uh, a part of that for, for other people as well? And without this, yeah, without the the God being in God's story and allowing us to make a mess uh, because we're free and fallen human beings free in the sense that we're free to choose uh, to not follow God. Uh, Even believers are free to, you know, we can, we can still sin Uh, without that and without a redeemer who's already at work, part of the process present in the world in some way, accessible in some way that none of it, there's no, there's no possibility for it to make sense. And, and that, I think that's part of the tension that we feel. And I wonder if the pandemic that we're in is jarring for lots of people because without some sort of sense of a bigger story in which we don't have to make sense of everything ourselves because God is making sense of it in the end, we don't know what to do with things like, you know, I, I think, I don't know if you, if you get the sense that there are people who are like, well, this shouldn't happen. Like stuff like this shouldn't, like we should be past this. I mean, I thought I wanted to <laughs> pretend that we had, you know, gotten to a place of civilization that pandemics were stuff you read about, Yeah, but you know, we're not subject to that anymore. Yeah. Because I just think that the idea that we're in this bigger story and that we are subject to things and the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We can't fix it. We can't fix ourselves and we can't fix it without that sort of lens. Then it's really difficult to make sense of all sorts of bad things. And I think the pandemic and that is part of it. Yeah. The assumption that uh, we are progressing uh, past things like a pandemic or you know, that just shouldn't happen anymore. Well, look at all these modern advancements. It just shouldn't be like that. Uh, it needs to be challenged. Uh, the assumption that we are progressing towards, as some people want to say, a higher self or whatever, it just needs to be challenged. Now, I'm not saying we're committing the same sins we were hundred years ago or 10,000 10, years ago, but it's again, the question of, just 
what's well it's a larger question maybe this is for you to, de- to determine and, and help us on a different podcast is what's the flow of history mm-hmm. i think sometimes the assumption is well the flow of history is um it's it's we're progressing to better places yeah. it's higher right. Right. um so yeah i just i think that that, that definitely yeah. needs to be challenged let me say one word i wrote down when you're talking about prophecy and the purpose of it i wonder if it would be helpful for um Christians to take some cues from the wisdom that God gives uh, storytellers and story writers. If you think about prophecies um, in fictions and in novels, so like say Harry Potter, uh, or you were talking apocalyptic um, stories where the purpose of prophecy in those are not necessarily to confirm some sort of identity on is this person a wizard? Is that person a dark? Who's evil? Uh-huh. Who's good? But the purpose of those prophecies were to help people take their place in the story. It's to help them act in such a way now that shows them a, a part to play. You have a part to play. And this prophecy is supposed to coax all of that out of you for your time, such a time as this. And I think I, I would argue if we kind of take that lens and look through the script on, put it on the scriptures, then saying, okay, part of these prophecies and even their fulfillment is to help us figure out how to play our part in the story. Where are we in the story? Jesus has died and rose again, and he has defeated sin and evil. And he is, he is inviting us to play our part right now. Like those are, that's the purpose of this to help us play our part. Well, right. I think that's right. I think, and I don't, uh, yeah, instead of proving that my doctrine is too true in case I get into an argument with people who, mm-hmm. you know, right? So that's, so that's, you know, the much, the much better realer purpose of, of prophecy is that it should help me live more purposefully, more missionally, more truly in the story that I'm actually, and it's information about this bigger story my story is in that I wouldn't have otherwise that helps me make sense of, oh, okay, that's what I need to be doing. That's how I need to be living. Uh, oh, okay, the church is actually here to bless the world and to be a representation of uh, God's presence in the world and the Holy Spirit in the world. And that helps me understand who I am and the part, the role I'm supposed to play. And that Jesus is coming back uh, and that all the books will be balanced, all the, all the wrongs will be righted, all the injustices will be straightened out. Uh, and everyone who needs to be punished will be punished. I don't have to necessarily do all of that. Uh, uh, there can be redemption that's offered to anyone. And I'm, I'm asked to be an agent of redemption and all of that makes sense in this bigger story. When in a sense, that's what maybe the, the whole Bible is. It's an explanation of who I am, who God is, who we are in this big story that we're in and within which I can make sense of, of my story. Um, and I do think that's, uh, what we do instead of that is, um, you know, sometimes to pretend or forget or gloss over or edit, uh, or even say happy things to ourselves, like we shouldn't have to deal with pandemics. And I just feel like, you know, it's, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the, uh, the arc of history bends towards judgment, judgment. Uh, or the arc of history is long, but it bends towards judgment or uh, uh, justice, rather. Uh, and I think I don't agree with him 
basically, in at least in how that is often portrayed. Like things, I think he was, uh, we don't have time to go into this fully, but I think he was a post, post-millennialist, uh, mm. post, post-millennial theologian, which, mm. you know, believes that things will get better steadily until G and then that paves the way for Jesus to come back okay. where I don't see it that way uh, at all. Uh, I think neither one of us are post post mill people. And in fact, they're fairly rare now because it's a harder case to make because the world seems like it's a mess. Yeah, post, it's a mess. post World War II. That was a harder <laughs> case to make. It's a harder case to make. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, in a way it's true, but all the justice comes when Jesus returns. And until then, I'm going to live in a broken, unjust world, not to explain it away or wave it away or not to say I need to work against systemic or individual evil or injustice. But the reality is we can't, we're not fixing it. We can't fix it. We need a redeemer. We can't edit it out. Uh, you know, hearts need to be transformed. We can't just learn and have science and education and get past all of these things, whether it's pandemics or whether it's racism uh, or intolerance, those things aren't going away because we're fallen. Uh, and education won't make them go away. Only a redeemer can redeem them. And even there, they're not edited away. They're redeemed. Um, so, um, that's probably where we should leave it uh, before we get, you know, add another 30 minutes diving into that, <laughs> that whole topic. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're going to, for the next while, for the next months, we're going to be looking at uh, the life of Jesus. And here we're just kind of kicking it off with the, you know, prophecies uh, about his, his coming uh, and his return. Um, and so, you know, as you file, as we follow along, we'll take a look at the gospels, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, so if anybody who wants to follow along and, and do that with us, uh, uh, invite them to, to do that. Um, and encouragement is to see your story in the bigger story that we don't have to make complete sense of all of it. That there is a sense to it. God tells us that we have a part to play. Let's figure out what that is together. Uh, and let's walk, walk with him, uh, in that. So with that, grace and peace, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.